Different Viewpoints with Ray Scalfani and Mark Hurley. Ray has been one of the leading consultants in the financial services industry for many years, and Mark has annoyed countless people throughout the wealth management industry over the last 25 years with the white papers he has written. Today, they are going to provide their insights into what is really going on in the industry, some of the more absurd things they've seen, and also for anyone in this industry, some issues they should be thinking about as they try to build their business. I think there are a few stories we should get into. What do you say, Mark? Yeah. And uh, I think there's uh, there's some outrageous uh, publishing of stories we got to get into. And, and then we'll get to the main topic for today. What do you say we get into it? Uh, okay, so uh, first off, what's really going on in the industry? First article I would recommend for advisors is this look at private equities imperative uh, from FA Magazine. Yeah, I, I think Evan uh, Simonoff did a really good job on this. Uh, taking a look at the dilemma that private equity firms are facing. In short, the party's over. In other words, there was a period here where you could buy anything. As long as the market kept going up 10% a year, you were a genius. In fact, you could buy anything and pay anything to get it. Problem now is debt's a lot less available and a lot more expensive. And now the real heavy lifting has begun. In other words, okay... We built these things. We made our investors a boatload of money by buying them in a rallying market. But now what do we do with them? And that's the big challenge that Evan talks about in his article. So this quote caught my attention. He said, others will simply fail at integrating RIAs. Goldman Sachs, which boasted one of the Wall Street's best financial services team in areas ranging from banking to asset management, so its acquisition of United Capital end in a humiliating failure this past summer. It won't be the last. Yeah, I mean, uh, one, I do believe that the people running most of these aggregators are pretty smart people. But what the, the, the people who actually own them have figured out, that the, many of the management executives who did a phenomenal job of doing the deals and building them are not the right people to take them to the next level. Because what's coming next in this industry, it's all about organic growth. M&A, there's 100 buyers for every single property. You can't, there's no arbitrage, it's gone. So how do you make money in this business? Well, it's, it's the old-fashioned way. You go get new clients and you add them on. The problem is, is that enormous number of the firms in this industry, over 70%, would be shrinking, but for the market going up. They stopped marketing a decade ago. Good luck trying to get that going. And what I think you're seeing is, is they're trying to bring in new management and new structures to try to find a way to reinvigorate all this thing. Okay, so I have a different point of view. And I'm, I'm curious to get your take. How many subscription accounts do you have in your household today? Netflix, Hulu, well, I'm a Apple? Lu- I'm a Luddite. I think I have one. Come on, you got more than one. <laughs> I know you have more than one. The average family's got at least seven. I'm just right? telling you, I'm a Luddite. But go okay. ahead. <laughs> okay, so when I think about subscription revenue, there's no better subscription business than this fee on AUM. Yep. And these PE firms are looking at these businesses, I think, very differently. And these wealth businesses are great investments. They're when, phenomenal investments. When you think about uh, a PE firm bringing professional management, when you think about uh, PE firms uh, helping uh, leadership teams reimagine organic growth strategies, my take is in the next five years, you're going to see a major turnaround among large RIAs 
doubling down on investing in their people so they can figure out new and different ways to drive organic growth, not just relying on the Fidelities and Schwab referral programs, but really building internal solutions for growing the businesses. And I think the private equity firms are going to be big drivers of, of this activity, helping firms figure this out. And the heavy lifting, I would agree with Evan, has begun but but private equity, we're maybe only in, I think, the third or fourth inning of what this is going to look like. Well, yeah, I, but let me amend a few things. Number one, anyone who's ever built an organic growth program for their company will tell you it takes at least three years to build the center of influence networks that start to generate material amounts of clients. I'd agree with so that. number one. Yep. So you're already talking there's a real lag time. But also, it's fundamentally a cultural issue. I understand not all... Like, for example, an aggregator like Beacon Point has continued to grow at an extraordinary rate because their culture is if you want to be part of our company, you better be into continue to grow. But others, the bargain they cut with some of the acquisitions was we'll give you quote unquote autonomy. And these organizations have been sleepwalking for a very long time. So while there is a continuum, you know, you've got someone on one end like, uh, Peter Maluk and what he's doing with creative planning, which is just staggeringly what he's accomplishing. But there are a bunch of other ones where, quite candidly, it was financial engineering. Borrow lots of cheap money, buy things, tell them what they want to hear. And now it's the morning after. And they're saying, okay, well, we got to make a pivot. And to make that pivot, they have to change the bargain they made when they bought the company. So... I think it's going to be a little more complicated, but I do agree with you that these organizations are run by very, very smart people. My only question is, is how long will it take them to do this? And what happens in the interim with all these other firms that are very smart that don't have this problem to begin with and are already growing at a high rate? Okay, so this is a great topic. We will pick this up in future podcasts. Uh, let's go to the second story that definitely got both your attention and my attention, and it's the uh, the new president named it Focus. Yeah, Michael Nathanson. Uh, Michael is interesting in that he comes out of one of the firms that was acquired as opposed to being brought in. Now, to be sure, the CEO is someone that uh, CDR picked, and Clayton Dubillet and Rice, which is the owner, put in there. Uh, but... And I think it's a really smart move to put someone like Michael in this position because, you know, he can help this whole difficult challenge they're facing of integrating firms that were originally told they'd be able to stay autonomous. Um, As I understand it, and again, I don't have any inside information, but uh, they're trying to take most of the affiliates and consolidate them into like five sub-platforms. And then as part of that, transform everything. Um... But having a guy like Michael at the forefront of that is smart because a friend of mine said, you never want to go to China and try to do business unless you speak Chinese. Having someone like Michael doing this is you've got someone who understands the culture of the firms, the dynamic of the firm, and he also can help persuade people that this makes sense for the long term. That's a a great insight. Okay, let's go third story. Uh, This one's interesting to me uh, because I think Mariner is on a tear. And now Marty's getting sued uh, by Avant Tax and by Edelman. What's your take? Well, I, we said in this white paper we published uh, back in December that that most successful firms have got to run up the Jolly Roger and go start poaching people. The industry, and, and you were one of the people I think who really emphasized this when we were doing the research, uh, the industry has an enormous crisis, and the crisis is talent. 
you have 10, according to Cerulli, 37% of the industry is going to retire in the next 10 years. There are no replacements. So if you're trying to grow a business, where are you going to get talent? I mean, unless you figure out cloning fairly quickly, you're going to have to go steal it. And much to my relief, we published this paper on December 5th and December 6th. Mariner gets sued by a competitor for, for poaching talent. And then a couple of weeks later, they get sued by another competitor. I think what's remarkable about this is that if we talk about this six months or nine months from now, it's going to be unremarkable. Yeah, the greatest threat clearly to our great industry is the lack of talent. Uh, if these businesses continue to grow uh, and, and we see expectations for growth, uh, talent uh, is going to be required. So that, that's a real mess. And, and we'll talk about this in another podcast, but they're going to have to use their talent more thoughtfully. Most firms have operating structures that are really not that smart. Well, my take is uh, Marty and Mariner has got to bake this into their P&L and know it's part of the game. Uh, and, and candidly, they're, they're running one of the largest firms in the United States. Do you honestly think they're that worried about getting sued over an employee? Yeah, I mean, th- come th- on. this is an interesting one. Okay, let's go number uh, four. Uh, California laws uh, strengthen protections against restrictive covenants. Uh, and impose notification requirements uh, off a of city wire. I thought that was an interesting article. Yeah, uh, you know, understand that uh, doing business in California is like going to Mongolia and doing business to begin with, particularly when it comes to restrictive covenants. But this is an interesting challenge because the way a lot of firms have done acquisitions in California is they'll say, we're based in Texas or Kansas or someplace like that, and you're signing a restrictive covenant that follows Texas or Kansas laws. There's now a proposed bill in the state house which would say, no, we don't care where the company's located. You're going to follow California laws. And under California laws, you can't have a restrictive covenant except in the sale of goodwill i.e. the sale of equity. So it's not just the person has to have equity, they have to sell it to have an enforceable restrictive covenant. Okay, so lots more uh, coming out about that uh, in in the future, so we'll pay close attention to that. Okay, you've got to be kidding me. Bill Crager is dropping the CEO role after multiple shoes dropped. The company insists it was his decision uh, but vision, yodely, future uncertain at RIA Biz, another RIA Biz article. But remember, they check, check, and recheck RIA Biz. Look, this guy helped start and revolutionize this industry with fintech. He and his partner, Judd. Judd tragically was killed in a taxi accident going to an airport with his wife. All of a sudden, Bill gets pushed to the forefront. And now you got somebody talking about, after 25 years, he decides he wants to do something else. And they they say the company insists it was his decision, implying like it wasn't. And say, and then they go on to talk about how, um, you know, this is an organization that uh, reportedly, of, of Bill's own volition, reportedly is stepping down. Be, like they have secret super information and that, uh, that you know, maybe this organization. Uh, uh, the key question is whether Investnet will continue to keep hiring fancy executives from places like BlackRock. I mean, give me a break! Like this organization has a three billion dollar market cap. When the company went public, it was at ten bucks a share. It's north of fifty. These guys have done a phenomenal job. When someone says I'm stepping down, you know, take him at their word. You know, this is and this is a real problem in the industry. We have a lot of uh, people, they want to editorialize rather than actually be journalists. 
And, uh, and, you know, in a sense, it's a bit of a smear. This guy has done a phenomenal job. They should hold a parade in his honor. Not talk about how it was, you know, allegedly he, he stepped down. And, and then they hired a CFO from BlackRock. They're a $3 billion company. Well, where are you going to hire somebody from? H&R Block? Who I knows mean, how to run a, a firm of that size? A CFO. I mean, actually, right I mean, give me a break. Okay, so let's get to the main topic. Uh, and the main topic uh, for today's podcast is really centered around... Uh, any uh, owner, uh, a controlling owner, running a large firm, running any firm for that matter, are they actually thinking big enough? So we've got uh, several key points I think we want to make here. And I think it begins with the research and the immense opportunity that lies ahead. Yeah, it's staggering. If, if uh, Oh, to be 45 again, as we all like to say. But if you were 45 years old today and you have a $400 million firm, the opportunity ahead of you is, it's it's staggering. Simple statistic. If you look at the number of people in the United States between the ages of 45 and 60, and si- compare that with 60 and 75, there are 7 million more people between 45 and 60. In other words, the industry's clients are going to more than double over the next 10 to 15 years. Well, let's talk about uh, uh, Tiburon's research and, and what Chip Rome has published. The wealth transfer, the some $29 trillion of wealth transfer that will be inherited by the Gen X, uh, the $29 trillion that will be inherited by the millennials, 70% of that close to $60 trillion will be uh, to a woman uh, who will inherit that uh, wealth. Uh, there's also estimated another $10 trillion of wealth transfer and small business sales. Uh, the Gen Xers will create another $30 trillion in wealth. So when you look at Chip's uh, and Tiburon's research, the opportunity set is enormous. And uh, to owe to be 45 again, uh, imagine having that next-gen professional in their late 20s, early 30s, who are contemplating whether they want to be owners in this wealth advising firm where they're currently an employee. Uh, this is probably the single greatest time for any owner to be looking at developing next-gen talent. And you look at the subscription revenue, you look at these wealth businesses and the value of these businesses. Hey, for many Americans, their home is the largest asset on their balance sheet. In this case, for most financial advisors, it's their business. And so it's a pretty exciting time uh, to be in the business. Yeah, let me amend that, too. First off, there isn't a right answer as to what one should do. Everyone has to figure out what's right for them. And our recent paper we put out, we talked about there are going to be three groups of firms out there. There's going to be these mega firms, and you already can see these guys starting to show up. And then there's going to be a bunch of smaller firms that really candidly will be like bookkeepers. There's nothing wrong with that, but they'll largely be jobs. Yeah, more generalists. Generalists. uh, A lot of lifestyle practices. You've got it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's an opportunity for someone who's very ambitious. And I know this will sound almost counterintuitive now, outrageous, but if you're 45 and you can get your act together and run a good business, in particular build a specialty, in other words, find some segment of clients that you're extraordinarily capable of working with, you should expect that you can build at least personally $100 million of wealth. That's how big this opportunity is. We're talking about there are so many clients to be gotten. You've got an industry that looks like a shrinking geriatric ward. 
uh, and, <laughs> and you 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 have a demand for the service that's skyrocketing, yeah. and millions and millions of people are going to be looking for clients. The real question I often say when I meet with people at conferences is, why aren't you thinking bigger? I meet a guy who's got four hundred million dollars, and their ambition is to get to a billion or two billion. No, I think if you 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 execute well, you're very thoughtful about this. You recognize that what you're fundamentally in the business is of not from a business, not a vocation. You're not in the business of giving advice. You're in the business of getting paid to give advice. You're in a marketing business. And if you can organize that and be very efficient about that and then be quite good on how you service clients and efficient doing that, you can build a staggering amount of economic value in your company. So let me take it from a different perspective, too. I think the financial impact in building a larger wealth advising business is extraordinary. Uh, But I want to also challenge advisors to think about uh, the heartstrings. You know, most advisors, uh, we coach at ClientWise, are focused around the impact they're having in the lives of many. And I often call this the nobility of the profession or the ripple effect you know, when a great advisor makes a difference uh, in the life of one family, there's a multi-generational impact uh, for that family. I mean, great planning uh, done well changes uh, the, the trajectory for families for generations. And when great advisors build wildly successful businesses and expand that impact, they transform entire communities. And so I, I think it's important to pull on the purse strings and talk about the financial impact uh, not only in terms of income uh, to a firm and the wealth uh, in building uh, the entrepreneurial dream here in the greatest country on the planet, the United States of America, where you can build anything you want to build. Yeah, there's a great financial impact. I also think there's a great uh, lifestyle impact uh, with clients that's pretty extraordinary. But it's not inconsistent to do both. In other words, Absolutely. Let's talk about, for example, specialty firms. Okay, we're in a, this industry is odd in that there's no firm that today is known as the firm to go to if you're this person with this type of problem, okay? You see some people say they're sort of specialists, like, oh, we specialize in doctors, but doctors is much too broad a category. I mean, a, a surgeon's business and life is so different than a dermatologist, is so different than an anesthesiologist, that you really need expertise. But... Well, the really successful firms are going to figure out they're going to play a role not just in helping their clients manage their wealth. They're going to play a role in helping their clients create their wealth. A simple example. Um, let's say you target technology executives. I think you're going to find the really best firms are going to recruit people out of uh, executive recruiting firms and say, you're going to work for us because you're going to come in with our clients, help them plan their careers. Help them figure out, okay, what are the choices? How do I think about that? And yes, we can help make it tax efficient, the way you negotiate your deal, et cetera, et cetera. But you're, you're talking about making a fundamental difference in somebody's life because you're going to help someone who's got a lot of talent, doesn't know where to go with their career, and you'll have as part of your firm an expert who can help them do that, as well as you provide a litany of other services that unburden them so they can focus on that kind of stuff. The firms that are able to do that they're going to do what's effectively called a pull communication strategy. Now, when you think of advertising, you know, you think of someone like Schwab who spends $485 million a year on marketing and advertising, and it pushes staggering amounts of clients to them. They're extraordinarily successful. But at the same token, 
No one has that kind of money unless they're very, very big. The really smart firms are going to be build a brand as being the experts in these types of problems, affiliate with all the groups by which these people affiliate. And over time, that will pull clients to them. In other words... Yeah, they'll build a brand and a reputation. Yeah, I, I give example of a simple example. LASIK used to be real specialty. Now, you could have done a shopping mall. Right. The guy, person who fixes screwed up LASIK... They're making a fortune. And trust me, they don't have to do a push strategy. They have a pull strategy. Anybody who's got screwed up LASIK is trying to find them very quickly. I think there's going to be similar things done in this industry. That uh, And it's consistent with this, the, the broader vocation that is wealth management. This is like the greatest industry to be in because, one, you get to take care of people and help improve their lives, while at the same token having a great career opportunity. But it's consistent with this vocation because... Today, most wealth managers, and we talked about this in our study, over half of them today are just basically investment only. And going forward, that's not going to be sustainable because someone's not going to pay the kind of fees they've had if we don't have the same kind of bull market we had for a long period of time, if you get this. Instead, what they're going to have to do is add greater value. And it's the organizations that figure out how to add the most value who are going to be able to, del- to, be able to deliver this value to their clients. The uh, the term we use at ClientWise is distinct market advantage, and there's two parts of a distinct market advantage. Part A uh, is uh, that they, they've got to be clear about the clients that they're serving, and two, they've got to be clear about how they're enhancing the values. So when you talk about working uh, with a client who has uh, a concentrated stock position and their senior executive at a firm, having a professional coach that helps them think about their career and navigate their career, and that's part of the services. Perhaps it's negotiating an employment agreement. There are firms out there today doing some of that activity. Rob Nelson, the CEO at North Rock Partners, talks about this uh, a great deal. Um, I've also uh, bumped into an advisor at an Investment and Wealth Institute conference a couple of years ago, and she was describing to me her distinct market advantage and that is uh, working with suddenly single women who've lost a spouse to brain cancer. Yep. And I thought, how many people have lost a spouse to brain cancer? She says, well, I was one. I got a call from my husband uh, that said, hey, meet me at home. Uh, I've just met with the doctor and he's given me two months to live. We need to get our affairs in order. And she says, I was a single mom with three kids uh, recognizing I got to do something. She said, I became a financial planner. And the oncologists, the research uh, uh, folks, uh, the doctors, she's built an amazing network, but, but here's what she's also really done well. She's uh, helped uh, her clients figure out how to winterize their home, how to change the oil uh, on their cars, how to start dating again, uh, the seminars that she runs, the education she provides, how she supports uh, her clients it's a very different uh, value proposition than just simply managing her client's money. She's connecting at a deep uh, level. I was, I was absolutely floored. I think that's the kind of example, Mark, you're describing. Oh, absolutely. Now, the one key thing, though, is the brand. Because, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, <laughs> it doesn't right. really matter. And while there are firms that have built great expertise, no one has been able to build the brand for a certain space. And the key to doing this involves two things in my experience. One is thought leadership. People who have a share of similar problems 
tend to affiliate. They tend to read the same publications and they tend to belong to the same groups. And the people who are going to build very successful businesses with really enhanced expertise, specialized expertise, they're going to become people who these groups look to for thought leadership on the issues the groups are facing. They're going to, you know, virtually every electronic magazine today can't afford to make their own content because ad rates are so low. So they're always looking for contributors. And if you've ever had the joy of running a group and having to do the conference, you were, I think the word desperate would understate what you want to try to find speakers who can come in that will add something that, that the audience really wants to hear. But very few advisors take advantage of this. And I think going forward, the really sophisticated guys are going to figure out who they want to target. They aren't going to exclude other clients they can get. I'm talking about where they focus their marketing efforts. They're going to be very, very patient because it takes a long time. But they're going to position themselves for this target audience as the experts that people want to get their ideas from because you've thought about more of the issues that they should be worried about than they even know exist. I think Dan Sullivan at The Strategic Coach calls this uh, a unique uh, process, that building intellectual property, you called it thought leadership, around a unique uh, process by which uh, advisors can differentiate themselves from others is key. This is about not generalizing uh, where the financial plan and the fact finding and the, you know, the, the process, uh, it looks, uh, wrote, uh, but rather that it's differentiated, that the, uh, the consumer knows exactly who's serving them. Uh, we think of this as like, uh, uh, known needs and unknown needs. You know, the client that shows up and sort of knows what they need to do is really obvious, but it's the financial advising team that knows what the client doesn't know because they're experts in their field, guiding that prospective client is where the differentiation happens. But the key in the branding side is to communicate that expertise. And get known. And get known. And the, and the good news is so few people ever write anything original. Yeah, but I hear, oh, come on, compliance won't let me. Oh, uh, I'm oh not able goodness, to. No, you, they, you can work. That, that, that's, that's someone who doesn't want to have to do the work. Writing is, as someone who's written a lot, each time we publish a paper, you feel like you're birthing a moose. I mean, it, oh, it's yeah. painful. Having written a book, uh, you, you and I exactly. write every week, uh, blog articles oh. uh, and, and white papers uh, quarterly, like, yes, I'm with you. But there are a lot of writers out there. You can get for very low amount of money. I, I agree with you. In fact, the smart people will say, okay, rather than me spending all my time on this, I'm going to work with someone who's very good at writing They'll interview me, and they'll create the framework, and then I'll shape it to fit this. Well, and 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 that brings up a really interesting point. I mean, I, if you go through the trade pubs in our industry, uh, there are uh, writers in each of those uh, publications that are uh, hired uh, by those publications, as, as, uh, and they outsource all that work. There's no reason why financial advisors shouldn't be doing the same. Yeah, and they, what they really need to do is have the leadership start thinking about what are the key issues in other words, spend their time thinking on big issues and then work with someone to help them f shape and formulate it so they can communicate it. Yes, follow compliance. Yes, make sure you don't do anything crazy. But we're not talking about going in and saying we're brilliant and everything else because clients don't want to hear about you. They want to hear what's going to be help. That's right. And, and what's going to add great value. To their lives. Yeah, so I, I think you're right on the money. There's a patience. Uh, this is a multi-year commitment. Uh, but let's also talk about digital. You know, you think about the power of uh, the web 
Uh, there used to be an adage that the affluent clients uh, don't look for advisors uh, on the web. When in fact, what's true uh, is that uh, they're using the web to find advisors. They're using the web to check uh, on their advisor. Uh, they want to see what the advisors published. One of our clients uh, here in Texas, he runs a couple of billion dollar RIA and has built a remarkable proprietary model a predictive model that looks at uh, small and closely held businesses, mid-market even, uh, in the state of Texas uh, and and can anticipate which businesses based upon what they're posting uh, and the like. There's a whole lot of information that goes in. They're using AI to figure out uh, who's going to sell the business and they want to be the first call. They want to be proactive. So they're anticipating what's going on and they actually have a tremendous amount of intellectual property. Uh, they're providing great thought leadership. So one of these businesses finds them as much as they're looking for them. So SEO, search engine optimization, anchor text tagging, uh, using the web in smart and strategic ways. Well, it's a longer term commitment. It's going to take a multi-year commitment. The, the flow of leads uh, that, that a firm uh, can receive is off the charts. Yeah, and there's now software, for example, I'm familiar with Catchlight, but they have uh, developed artificial intelligence software that can take leads and effectively winnow them down so you can figure out where's the best use to spend on your time on this. Uh, one of the major national publications is talking about creating similar type information in conjunction with AI to identify where's your best opportunity to do this. But Understand, too, that for this industry, this is a bit of a... If we were talking about leads 20 years ago, people would act like we had two heads. No, they're looking for a phone to bet a bunch on a hunch and dial for dollars. I mean, the, yeah. the, those days are gone. Those days are gone. Also, uh, for the people that were fee-only advisors, they just used to saying, well, existing clients will send me their yeah, friends. Yeah, I'll do a great job. And they'll send me their friends. And I think today, if you don't have a digital strategy, you're really at an incredible disadvantage. But... People have mistakenly associated a digital strategy with what some of these robos were doing. They 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 came into this industry uh, about 15 years ago with this delusion that if we just have a really good you know software platform that does a very efficient job of managing money, people just throw money at us, and they confuse the idea of okay if I can have a website where I can show for free a picture of my cat or my tattoo. Everybody wants to sign up and how different that is from someone will give me their money to manage and pay me to do it. And this is why you've seen these robos have just sucked down hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and had so little success because at its core, wealth management is helping people manage this extraordinarily complicated relationship they have with their money. Totally agree. I would encourage advisors check out uh, platforms like HubSpot.com. Uh, FMG uh, is another organization that's doing a great job helping helping clients as well. So th this idea of uh, marketing and differentiation and value proposition uh, is key. Let me ask you, uh, as we wrap up our time together, uh, what would be one actionable idea, Mark, that, that you would recommend advisors make? I think every wealth management firm, whether it realizes or not, has a specialty. In other words, they t the way they've gotten clients is they've got one client who refers a similar client. 
And that's how they've really built their businesses. Now, mind you, they have multiple different types of clients now as they've gotten larger. But if you're thinking about building a specialty, the way to start is to do some introspection. Go, go spend some time looking at your client base and then understand what the challenges they face and the knowledge you already have from this. And then think about how can you just soar up the curve? What can you do that will be transformational for their lives? And then how do I communicate that expertise to this group of people? I would offer uh, my actionable idea would be to get your leadership team together. And uh, if you don't have a leadership team, start building one right away. And ask yourself the question, how wet do you want to get? There is a tsunami of opportunity coming. There's trillions of dollars over the next 20 years of wealth transfer. Uh, There's a a tremendous opportunity to make a big impact uh, in the lives of many and also build great wealth doing so. Build a strategy that's fully focused on capitalizing on the opportunity ahead of you and be ready to say more no than yes Start narrowing your focus, and every time you say no to a potential opportunity, you're saying yes to the target market, the niche, uh, the specialty that you're really fully focused on. So, Mark, we've covered a great uh, deal today. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed the conversation around uh, a walk down uh, the industry, uh, some of the interesting articles and trends happening, and uh, and, and our segment around, you've got to be kidding me, uh, InvestNet's not going away. Uh, and Bill Crager, they should hold a parade in his honor. No doubt. He's helped transform an industry in a major way. And then we hope we've inspired you today to think about the opportunity that lies ahead uh, for every great wealth advisor in our industry uh, and what an opportunity for all. So, Mark, great uh, this inaugural podcast and working with you today. Look, It was great. Thank you very much.